there's a lot of positive things in our relationship with God that can be an outcome of stress if we let it. So would you please join me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the season of Thanksgiving. And Lord, I pray that our thankful heart wouldn't just be limited to this past weekend, but Father, that we would be grateful and just thankful for you all the time because you don't just bless us during this time of the year. Father, you bless us the entire year. So, Lord, may you speak through me um, this morning as I present your word. And may we come away experiencing you and having a fresh look on stress and how you could do wonderful things in our lives if we just look to you in our times of trials and struggles. In your son's name we pray. Amen. A while back, there was this book called... um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in that, Stephen Covey talks about a story of when he was in New York. And he was on a subway. It was he or a friend. I I couldn't remember. Um, But while they were on the subway, there was this one man with two kids, a son and a daughter. And they were totally out of control. Okay, and what happens, they were running around making noises. People were reading the paper. They'd hit the paper. And you can imagine, and they were making loud noises and shouting and screaming at, and chasing each other on the subway. And you can imagine the people around them. What do you think they felt? They probably felt like annoyed, and they probably felt frustrated. They're looking at this guy. What's this guy's problem? You know, and so finally he goes over and tells this, um, you know, one father, he goes, you know, I don't want to be mean or anything, but you, you know, your kids are causing a lot of disruption on this subway. Uh, I think it would be, you know, nice if you could kind of like control them, control them. And then the father just looked at him, you know, with these glazed eyes, and he said, yeah, you know what, I, I think that'd be a good idea. Um, yeah, the mother just passed away, and we just finished burying her this morning. You know, I'm not really sure how to deal with it, and neither do my kids. And so I guess they're just acting out. But right then and there, what do you think happened? The person who was annoyed with this one father all of a sudden understood what was going on, and his paradigm shifted from annoyance to, oh, I feel so bad for you. You know, how could I um, help, right? It's a different way of thinking. The circumstances did not change. However, when he found out the cause of why those kids were acting up, his attitude changed. And that could be the same with us. Because when we talk about stress, stress is a reaction to threat. Okay, it could be a threat from, let's say, our circumstances around us. It could be a threat from another person. It could be anything that we pose as a threat, and then that causes stress on us. You know, and they did a survey of, you know, some of the top seven stressors. And the first, uh, one of the number one stresses, worry. Worry stresses us out. Because when you think about it, there's a lot more for us to worry about today and a lot more different things to worry about today than when we, let's say, I was growing up. I didn't have to worry about identity theft. You know, it's really interesting as you take a look at, especially some of the, you know, you know, Asian gangs around here. You know, one of the big things that they're involved with is identity theft. 
You know, I got a call from Verizon saying, um, we just want to check on, but did you purchase two iPhone 8? And I said, no, I didn't purchase these phones. Well, they said, somebody hacked into your account and purchased two phones. And I go, what? And so I had to go through all of this rigmarole with them to try to convince them that, number one, that's not even my address. I don't even know where this place was. It's someplace on Valley Boulevard. You know, I was almost going to go to this address to see, okay, who purchased a phone, you know? But that causes stress. I didn't have to worry about that earlier. But there's so many things today that we worry about that we, don't, we didn't have to worry about a while back. Hurry. How many of you people feel hurry right now? Especially in the season, right? Our lives are busy enough as it is. Then you head on the holidays. Then we get into this rush, and that causes stress. Crowds. Crowds. 80% of the world's population lives in urban, uh, 83% of the world's population lives in urban settings. Before that was unheard of, right? And even as I get older, <laughs> I'm starting to not like crowds. I mean, you, I used to love crowds, you know. Now I'm at Disneyland, I'm going, man, why'd I have to wait 40 minutes for this ride? You know, I, and at the end of the day, I only read four rides. I paid how much to read ride four rides? Why? Because there's so many people here. What are you doing here? You know, stay home. Let me uh, let me enjoy Disneyland. Crowds. You know, as older I get, I just I'm not too. I used to love crowds. Now it's just like oh, sometimes it's an annoyance. Uh, multiple choices. We have so many choices that we have to make. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. The loss of privacy, right? Loss of privacy. Social media has changed, you know, the way um, we view our privacy. You know, all of a sudden, you find yourself on Facebook and go, well, I didn't do that. Or you were tagged, you know, so everybody knows, you know, what's going on in your life, right? Pluralism. And basically what that is, is, you know, we used to be a homogeneous society. Now, um, we're a society that we have different cultures, different value systems, different belief systems, and we're all in close proximity. And when that happens, what? We get stressed out. And then finally, the fear of the future. You know, all you have to do is read the newspaper, go online and see some news reports. You know, this world could be a pretty scary place. And so we're afraid of the future. However, stress gives us an opportunity to trust God. To grow in our faith. And I think one of the biggest reasons that hindered my, hinders my faith or maybe hinders your faith is the fact that when stress happens, we want to be the captain of our ship. We want to figure out the solution to our problem. So instead of going to God to avoid the stress, to try to get out of it, what do we do? We figure, okay, Dave, you're smart, you're intelligent. What do you need to do to fix this problem? And we go about fixing the problem. When God might be saying, Dave, I want you to be in this stress environment a little bit longer because there's something I want to teach you. Well, I don't want to be in the frying pan. None of us want to be in the frying pan. So what do we do? We want to get out of it as soon as we can. But then God might be telling us, hey, I'm using this. You are going to need to know how to deal with this stress now because there's going to be something coming down the road in the future that you're going to, that's going to be even harder. And this will help you deal with it. And so what we're going to do is take a look at Psalm 23 and how to deal with stress from the help of 
my, not my friend, but Rick Warren, whom I've got this inspiration for this sermon from. And a lot of times, when do we hear Psalm 23? We only hear it at, you know, funerals, right? Memorial services. But there's a lot in there. And that a lot of times we look at that verse and say, well, that's a verse that, you know, we talk about when people die. But there's, it really addresses an important part of how we deal with life. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Psalm 23? And most of you have this memorized anyway. This is one of the most famous psalms that uh, is in the Bible. But it starts off by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the first principle that we need to know when we're going through the stress, that, that we need to change our thinking when it comes to the stress is what? Look to God to meet all my needs. Look to God to meet all my needs. Not the internet. Not within yourself. Look to God to meet all your needs. You know, stop putting your faith and trust in things that could be lost. One of the things we talked about in the previous sermon series was about wealth and how the Bible instructs us on how to do wealth. And what Paul was warning us against is um, putting our hope in wealth instead of God. Now, what he was saying is a lot of us start off trusting in God because we believe, okay, God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and he's faithful and trustworthy, and we put our trust in God. But over time, what happens? The wealthier we get, and we determine that compared to the rest of the world, we're all wealthy, our, our hope shifts from God to our wealth. Our hope shifts from God to our ability to pay for things to get us out of um, trouble or frustration or to plan. And so this is what we need to remember and go back to. We need to look to God to meet all of our needs. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. The logic here is simple. God gave us the most precious thing he had. God gave us everything in his son, Jesus Christ. So if he was willing to give us everything, his son, Jesus Christ, for each one of us, don't you think he would give us all the things that we need? And that's the logic here. He goes, I gave you my best. I give you my very best. What makes you think that I won't provide for your needs if I was willing to give you my, various, my very best? We need to refocus on God and not others to meet our needs. We need to refocus on God and not our checkbooks. We need to refocus on God and not our jobs. We need to refocus on God and not even if you're thinking about choosing a career, that's going to meet your needs. You need to focus on God. The second thing that we'll see is that I need to obey God's instructions about rest. I need to obey God's instructions about rest. And this is a difficult one for all of us. Because what does he say? 
He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. You know, since when does God make us do anything? But here, he said he makes us lie down. Because we weren't created to go 24-7. Have you ever wondered why God created us to, for rest? If he really wanted to, he could have created us to go on and on and on and on and on. Right? He, he didn't, we didn't need to be, he didn't need to create us to rest. But I believe God created us to need rest so we would have limitations. And in those limitations, we would have to depend on him. Because we know that God places eternity in all of our hearts. And there's only a place that he could fill. But could you imagine if we didn't have to rest? If our bodies didn't need rest, what would happen? We would just keep going and going and going and going. And looking, look at our lives right now, right? We just go and go and go and go. And the busier and busier and busier we get, what do we do? We forget that there's a God. We forget that there's a God. Well, we get so wrapped up in our busyness. And the problem is if we don't take time to rest, our bodies are going to force us to take that rest. Because we're going to get sick and our bodies broke, will break down. But this is why God rested on the seventh day. It's not like he needed rest, but he needed to show how important rest is for us. It says, um, on the Sabbath, you know, that's the day when we refocus on God. When we refocus on God. And even Jesus said um, that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We all need rest. So what are we supposed to do on the Sabbath? So you could just jot down some of these things. The first thing that we need to do on a Sabbath is rest. Now, rest might be a foreign concept to some of you, right? But the older I get, I tell you, I'm loving my Sunday afternoon naps. Well, I'm just loving my naps, period. Some of you just need to take a nap. Some of you do it on Sunday mornings, and that's okay. Because maybe you're just taking your Sabbath right now, you know, as I speak. Um, but it's interesting. I went to this one retreat, and it was supposed to be the spiritual formation retreat where we are supposed to get closer to God. And the speaker, it's a week-long retreat, and he, the speaker said some of the um, most effective spiritual exercise you could do right now is rest. And I said, what? You know, I was here to take notes, listen to speakers. And so you know what I did for eight hours a day, five days a week? I slept. You know, I just slept. And the reason the speaker said that, he goes, a lot of you pastors really don't know how tired you really are. You keep going and going and going, and you have no idea how emotionally tired you are, how physically tired you are. You guys think you're spiritual supermen and women. And so what happened? (laughs) I slept for a week. Why? Because I needed that. I needed to rest. The next thing we need to do is refocus your spirit. We need to orient ourselves towards God. And the reason you need to take time out of your schedule, um, extended period of time, is just to reorient yourself towards God. Because most of the time, what's your focus? Your focus is on schoolwork. Your focus is on your activities. Your focus is on work. Your focus is on the checklist that you need to do. Well, on the Sabbath, that's a day for us to forget about all of that and refocus on God. You need to recharge your emotions. Third thing, 
recharge your emotions. Do something that brings you joy. How many of you have hobbies? Raise your hand. Okay, so uh, maybe half of you have hobbies. How many of you participate in the hobby at least once a week? Okay, a little bit less, right? We need to have hobbies. We need to do things that replenish our soul and bring us joy. And brings us joy. Whatever that is, it could be exercise. For me, it's, you know, building models. I build model ships. Um, I haven't done that in a while. There's like three under my bed right now that I need to build. And I was thinking, and I could just sit there for hours just putting these pieces together until you see that final product. But it gives me joy doing that. You need to find whatever it gives that gives you joy, and you need to be doing that. It says, next thing, I need to schedule time away from our fast-paced culture. And the reason you need to schedule this is because it's not going to happen When you take a look at your calendar, it's never going to be free. Something's always going to fill up your calendar. This is why you need to schedule time away from our fast-paced culture. This is what he says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. One of the things I used to love to do is, you know, go to Mammoth. And if you've ever been to mammoth fishing, it's just so beautiful there. You know, I, you know in, in my past years, I didn't even care if I caught anything. You know, I would just love to go there. You have your pole in the water, and it's just quiet. You know, you see the Sierras. You see the greenery. You see the lake. It's just beautiful, right? You need to get away and schedule this. Because God created beauty. God created beauty. I mean, if he really wanted to, he could have created this to be, to look like the moon, right? But look at the different variety of flowers. Look at the, the diversity of colors and the beauty of nature. God intended us to experience that. And we need to get scheduled time away just to be away from the hustle and bustle of the city. We were created to live in a garden, not in an apartment complex, right? We need to get away. You know, when we were kids, you know, we didn't have toys like you had today. And so what we would do is we would take water in a jar, fill it with dirt, and shake it up. And just put it down, and then just wait for it to settle. And then you'd have clear water on top, and you'd have dirt on the bottom. That was our toy. Believe it or or not. But the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Some of the reasons some of us are so messed up right now is because we're like that bottle, right? And you can't even see clearly through it. Why? Because there's so much sediments in there. It's only when you put that jar down and let it be still that those sediments start going to the bottom. Then you have clear water and then you have the sediment. Some of us, you know, we're, we're, we're stressed out because we just can't see. Well, that's because there's so much sediment around in our life right now. You need to stop. You need to sit. You need to schedule time away from the shaking and to let those sediments settle down. 
you know, start, you know, the way you start today really impacts how you're going to view that day. And so the best thing to do is start the day with either a devotion, start your day with worship music, start your day with prayer or Bible reading. You know, I used to start my day, but the first thing I used to do is I go to like CNN or the LA Times online. And when you watch that or when you hear that, what do you see? It's all negative stuff, right? And a lot of it, what does that have to do with me? I mean, what were the big headlines this past several weeks? LeVar Ball versus President Trump. You know, and I'm just going, what? You know, I go, what does that have to do with my life? You know? But you read all of this negative stuff. And then that kind of sets you up for this day. It creates, gives, makes you anxious. Right? When you watch the news, all you see is negative stuff on the news. You rarely see one of those feel-good headlines on the news. It's always negative, 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 negative. Start your day off with God. Not CNN. Not the newspaper. Not, the, not a maggot. Start your day off with God. Finally, well, is go to God for guidance. Go to God for guidance. It says, He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. You know, much of our stress comes from indecision. I don't care if you're a youth, you're in college, you're a young adult, you're an adult, you're an older adult. A lot of our stress comes from indecision. We have so many choices to make, and we don't know what to do. There are just too many choices. And the problem is, a lot of times, there's studies shown that a lot of our choices are tied to an emotional response. So we have our, the, our, the battle is an emotional response versus a logical response. And many of our decisions are attached to an emotional feeling. The University of Texas did a, um, a test where they found out that many of our decisions are attached to emotional experience. And so this is why when you don't have a lot of money and you're shopping for a car, you're, you're thinking, should I get leather seats or should I not get leather seats? Right? And you know you can't afford it, but why are you even thinking about it? Why? Because the smell of a... You, maybe there was an emotional attachment between the smell of a leather seat and your father's car. Right? And so you're deciding... Should I get leather seats or should I not? And you know you can't afford it. You should, we should be thinking, can I even afford this payment for this car? Right? But we end up thinking about, should I or should I not get leather seats? Why? Because there's an emotional feeling or emotional response to that. I mean, we see this all the day when we buy online. What drives me nuts is when I get a product that I really like and there's an emotional attachment, then I go online and see the ratings and the the 5,000 people that says this product stinks. And then I'm thinking about getting it again. And part of me says, you know what? I had this wonderful experience, but 5,000 people says it's no good. What do I do? You know, and that drives me nuts when I'm buying products. I'm always looking at ratings. I was even looking for a hand blender and stressing out trying to find this little $50 hand blender because I was looking at the ratings, right? Some, you know, five people said it was good. Five stars. But then a thousand people says, ah, he gave it three stars. Well, who's telling the truth here, right? And so there's so many decisions 
that we make. And there's so many people that we're listening to. I mean, when you buy things online, how many of you use ratings? Yeah, well, a good portion of you use ratings, right, to buy that. You know, I mean, I even use Consumer Reports to buy a hand blender. It's only $60, but man, I want to make sure I'm getting the right one, you know, so I don't get buyer's remorse. Um, But we need to trust God for our wisdom. Why is that? There's this thing called confirmation bias. And what is confirmation bias? Confirmation bias means we tend to seek out answers from sources that fit our way of thinking. Right? We tend to seek out answers from sources that fit our way of thinking. You know, when you look at, let's say, newspapers or whatever, there's certain newspapers that people look at. Why? Because they fit their certain type of thinking. You know, when you make decisions about that, you know, when it's a hard decision, oh, should I ask her out on a date? You know, who are you going to ask? Well, you're going to ask your a friend who most likely would say, yeah, go for it, Right? I'm not going to go out and ask a friend and say, Dave, you've got no chance with her. <laughs> you know, no way. I'm going to say, hey, Dave. I'm going to ask a friend, hey, Dave, man, go for it, man. You never know. It might work out. Right? We tend to ask people. We tend to look for advice from people who think the same way as us. And that could be dangerous. Why? Because all we're doing is we're getting information based upon what we would want to hear not what we should hear. And God is always honest with us. God will always tell us the truth. Right? James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives graciously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Have you ever been in a situation where you just don't know what to do? God, there are so many choices out there. I don't know what to do. I'm stressed out. Well, you know what? This is an opportunity, once again, to reorientate your thinking, to say, hey, this is a time for me to go to God for wisdom. Why? Because according to the Bible, it says it will be given to him. God will give you the wisdom. He's waiting to give you the answers. The problem is a lot of time, God is the last person we go to. Or God, we only go to the God for those big, big problems that we can't solve, right? When we don't go, God, for all of the other things that we think, oh, the consequences aren't that bad. I think I could take care of it. But the problem is, when we get into that mode, we get into certain habits, we get into certain habits of saying, okay, you know what? I'll take care of this one. Next, God, you're going to get the next one. But then what happens? So, you know, we get confused again. We need to make a decision. Oh, I'll take care of it. God, you'll get the next one. And the next thing we know, we form a habit of trying to figure out our own problems and not go to God. And it becomes a behavior. And going to God is more the exception to the rule than the rule. So what do we do? Whenever you go have a problem, ask. The first thing you need to do is say to yourself, I'm going to ask God. So ask God. Then we read Scripture. We read Scripture and see if God answers us through Scripture. And then we wait. And this is the hardest. We wait. 
We wait for God to answer us. Now, I want you to write this down if you have a pen and paper. God will guide me at the right time and in the right way. God will always guide me at the right time and in the right way. If there's a decision that needs to be made next year, God's not going to give you the answer now. He's just going to say, you've got to trust me on that. I'll give you the answer you need when you need to know. And I will give you the answer, the right answer. The problem is that um, many of us become impatient. We become impatient. We can't wait. And so we do it ourselves. You know, especially when we're in those difficult situations. Because our first instinct is to get out of that. When a lot of times God's saying, Dave, I want you to stay in this difficult situation. Because there are lessons that you could only learn by being in this situation. Next thing is I will trust God in the dark valleys. I will trust God in the dark valleys. Maybe some of you are going through a dark valley right now. Or you're going through a difficult time and you don't see a way out of it. And all you could just see is darkness. But you know what? God is there. And we need to trust him. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Did you know that in the Bible, 365 times it says, do not fear? 365 times in the Bible it says, do not fear. One for every day of the year. But it says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death. Now, there's interesting things about shadows. Shadows can't harm you, right? We're scared of shadows, but shadows can't harm you. And the thing about shadows is they're always bigger than their source, right? They're always bigger than their source. You know, even right now at our house, you know, we have a nightlight, you know, in our bedroom, partly because the older I get, I need to um, go to the bathroom at night, so I need to see where I'm going. But it was placed in this place, and when I looked up, it looked like this big face of a witch, right, on my ceiling. And it's like, whoa, this is kind of scary, you know. <laughs> and um, so I had to move some things around, and so it looked like maybe a bunny or something, you know. But shadows could be scary, right? Shadows, because they also distort things. They make things bigger than they really are. And so many times we get afraid of shadows. We get afraid of situations where God is saying, Dave, Dave, you're afraid of something that's bigger than it really is. And number one, that doesn't have the ability to harm you. I'm there. I'm protecting you. I'm protecting you. But you know, wherever there's a shadow, there's always a light. Wherever there's a shadow, there's always a light. So if you're looking at that shadow and it's frightening, what do you do? You turn your back on that and you look towards the light. And who's the light? Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I don't have to know all the answers. Why? Because I know God. And this is something that I think all of us need to come to the point to. I don't need to know all the answers because I know God. Finally, I will let God be my defender. I will let God be my defender. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Now the rod was this big heavy pole that a shepherd used to protect the sheep from predators. And the staff is what we see when we go to Christmas, Sunday school Christmas plays. That's that staff with that little hook. But what the shepherd did was if ever a sheep got stuck in trouble, you know, like in maybe a small chasm or something, the shepherd could go get that hook, get it around the sheep and pull it out of danger. Or let's say the sheep is going the wrong direction. The shepherd could go hook it around its neck and gently point it in the right direction. And see, this is what God is doing for us. He's, he's protecting us. And so we don't need to fear because we've got a God with a big stick that's ready to defend us from our enemies. That's what it says, your rod and they, your staff, they comfort me. A lot of people fear the rod and they fear the staff. But if you take a look at it, as that those are God's tools to protect each one of us. You know, it's comforting. But a lot of our conflict comes from people attacking us. Have you ever had somebody just come and talk smack about you? You know, spreading rumors about you that aren't true, that constantly attack you verbally. What's in these cases that we need to let God defend us? And this is one thing that I've learned over my life. Because when I was younger, if someone said something to me, boy, I'd, I'd be ready to attack back. I would have my strategic plan of how I was going to take this person down. They're saying all of this bad stuff about me. Well, I'm going to accumulate all of these facts about them. And that those are going to be my weapons. You know, to defend myself against this person and what they're saying about me. When my youth and young, when I was younger, that's how I thought you dealt with these things. But as I got older and more mature, the way to deal with these things is taking the high road. To take the high road. Um, gosh, I can't remember that guy's name. But remember, um, who was that player, that the basketball NBA player retired, who was criticizing Jeremy Lin oh, because of his hairstyle? Who? That's in my hearing's getting bad. Zach, you just said it. Could you say it real loud? Kenyon Martin. That's right. Kenyon Martin was talking smack about Jeremy Lin's hairdo. Right? Oh, this guy's trying to be black. What's his problem? Hey, dude, you're Asian. You know? And so, you know, he was you know, saying all of these things about Jeremy Lin. But what did Jeremy Lin do? He took the high road in his response back to him. And if you read all of the comments, everybody was what? They were backing Jeremy Lin, right? Why? Because Jeremy Lin took the high road. You know, little people belittle other people. Little people belittle other people. And you might think that, oh, it's kind of nice taking a person down a few notches. But in general, people do not really gravitate or find that attractive when you're chopping down another person. It says, you are most like Christ when you remain silent when others take shots at you. I want you to all remember this. You are most like Christ when you remain silent 
when others take shots at you. Remember when Jesus was on trial? What did he do? Did he defend himself? No. He was silent. And see, the problem is when you use those same tactics that other people use, you bring yourself to, those, to their level. You bring yourself to their level. And guess what? People are watching. People are watching. So the next time somebody attacks you verbally or you hear about people talking about you, yes, you're to confront them and say, why are you saying these things about me? They're not true. But take the high road. Do not attack back with words and the weapons that they use. Be silent. Because why? God will be your defender. And it takes a lot of faith to allow God to be your defender in those times. Because no one likes to have rumors. No one likes to be um, the person that people are gossiping about. I mean, we've all been there. We've all had people talk about us. It's not fun. But it requires a lot of faith to be silent and not attack back when people are attacking you. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What's he saying? Is God's going to affirm you. You know, when you have all your enemies there, you are going to be the main event. You are going to be a man. You are going to be affirmed by God in front of all the people who are um, causing you grief and pain because of what you're saying about you. And that's going to irk them because they want to be the center of attention. They want to be the one that the party's for. But you know what the Bible uses this as a metaphor? That you are going to be the one that's a center of attention. You are going to be the one getting the reward in front of all of your enemies. They're going to see that. And so don't, don't respond in the way that they attacked you. And this is so important. It's so important. God will avenge you and God will affirm you if you let him. So what's a weekly challenge? A weekly challenge is start the day reading Psalm 23. Okay, start it. And if you could memorize it, that'd be even better. And it says, write down the ways, it should be write down all the ways God provided for you this past year. Because when you feel that you can't trust Him, we have short term memory, we have memory loss. You know, our memory is only as good as the time God blesses us. As soon as that happens, we tend to forget. Right? So write down all the time God blesses you, blessed you this past year. Take time out of your schedule to rest. I'm giving you permission to nap. All right? Rest. Go to sleep. I mean, even if you want to do it next Sunday when I'm preaching, go to sleep. Maybe that's the only rest that you'll get. Um, and then, oh, actually, I'm sorry, not next Sunday. Pastor Phil's preaching next. <laughs> Two Sundays from now. Um, and then engage in a hobby or activity that gives you enjoyment. You know, a lot of uh, we're so busy working. We're so busy roaming from thing, doing things to things to things. What, whether, if it's cooking, you know, cook. You know, if it's, you know, jogging, jog. I mean, within reason, if it's video games, it's, it's video game. Within reason. Within reason. Got to put that in there. 
Okay, so but whatever brings you enjoyment, do that this week. Let's pray.